Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. It's nice to see everyone here. This is week three. Um, the name of this class is what? Did you say it right? Okay, everyone, get your hand ready. Remember, there's a correct way of saying this to make it stick. Ready? Affinitas. That's right. Again, don't get the tas in there. Affinitas means relationships in Latin. And I had lunch today with a really good friend, and he was telling me about how he went down to California and did a family um, reunion kind of thing. And most of the story was crisis this and problem that and, you know, having to deal with crazy relatives, this and that, we have learned how to simply tolerate and endure relationships rather than draw closer to them, desire them, thrive in them. And that is a little askew because we are called inherently to be in relationship. Two things. Remember what two things are we called to do in this world? Love this way and love that way. Relationship only. That's what it is. So, This eight-week series is all about learning how to redeem some of those relationships so that they can become not just tolerable, but thriving. They can become transformative and help you become what I would suggest God has called you to be, okay? Before we do that, like, again, just to put ourselves into a place where we are receptive and ready to listen, so put your books down if you can. Um... We're going to do a little, what's it called again? Thank you, someone said it. A little PBR, that's right. All right, close your eyes for me real quick. P stands for becoming present. So again, I recognize that each of you come in with your own set of burdens and problems and stories. But right now, for the next hour and a half, you don't have to solve any of those. Your main job is simply to become present, to be in this room as much as possible. You can pick up all those burdens on the way back out. You can work on solving them later on. But for right now, give yourself permission to just be present and to experience what happens here, right here, right now. B stands for body. So if you can, take your hands, put them on your knees, put palms up. Take a deep breath for me, and I want you just to notice what is happening in your body. Just notice the areas that you feel any sensations, any tightness, any weight. Just notice it. And if you want, take a couple deep breaths in and imagine that breath going right to the area that has some of that weight, some of that tension. Our emotions are physical. We get knots in our stomach, tightness in our chest, stress across our shoulders and back. Our feelings are physical. And so I want you to be able to not have to carry the physical burden of the emotions that you're sitting in right now. And then finally, R is receptive. What do you think God wants to communicate to you tonight? I don't know what that is. I humbly... have an opportunity to speak just a few things to you. You may hear something that is helpful, transformative, but I would hope beyond anything that instead of hearing me tonight, that you are able to hear your creator. He knows you better than you know yourself. He cares about you more than you know. If we can, I'd like to take just a minute 
and pray and start our night. Father in heaven, you are a good God, and we are humbled that you would actually care about us. I pray for the people in here that I don't know their stories but are carrying burdens that are too heavy. I pray that you will lighten their load just for the next hour and a half, that you will show up in a real and tangible way. May your presence be known, and may you be glorified in absolutely everything that we say and do tonight, and in your name, amen. It's nice to see you all. This is week three. Week one, we talked about the 10 relationship rules. Remember that? Last week, we talked about what? Family. So we're talking about parent relationships and children relationships. Now, because I haven't managed my time real well, we're still playing catch-up. My goal is to get through the rest of the family stuff and how to have a healthy relationship with yourself today. Okay, We have relationships with lots and lots of people. Ourselves, family members, neighbors, spouses, God. Okay, Each one of those is going to have a week. So tonight, you're stuck here until we get through it all. That's just what's going to happen. All right. So if it's 10.30, we ain't leaving. We just got to get through it. Yeah. Um, what? Oh, I said that's, fine. that's all right. Um, I want to do a quick review of what we went through last week, if we can, as we talked about... Man, that's going to kill me. Does this look familiar? The bow tie. The bo- yeah, thank you. What's it called? The bow tie. The bow tie principle. Okay. Don't spill the coffee. I kind of redid it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I kind of redid it so it's actually readable. Um, what it is, for those who missed last week, on the left and right here, we have kind of at the bottom corner, there's zero control for a, a child who is born. Brand new infant has zero control in their life. And if you go up that scale to 100%, that's what the parents have. So the parents are going from the top left to the bottom right, and the kids are going from the bottom left to the top right. The kind of major milestones... Um, throughout this process are kind of the two-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old, 12-year-old, and then I just picked 18 because legally that's when you guys are free. You don't actually have to um, be a child anymore. You can be drafted, you can um, be arrested, and nobody calls your parents, okay? Kind of some of the things that are important, and I try to follow the lines here, so if we look at that gap between zero and two, the um, job of a child is simply to be and do, They just have to experience life. If they can do that, they are healthy, you know, one-year-old, two-year-old, 18-month-old. That's their job. And their parent's job is at the top there along the parent line. The parent's job is simply to interact, respond, and to be attuned. There's little things in our brain called mirror neurons, and they kind of um, reflect. Remember the movie that everyone really got all kind of heartbroken last week? It was that still face experiment. It was, I thought I was going to just you know, traumatize some people in here because it was painful to watch these, these, this baby trying to do anything to get response out of mom. That's in this stage right here, and the parent's job is simply to be in tune and pay attention. We move into kind of that two- and three-year-old, then the main job is thinking. That's when a kid learns how to say no because they're actually starting to think what do they like, what don't they like. And so they're starting to become an individual there, and the parent's job 
at the very top is to encourage and to provide safety while the kids are allowed to explore. Now again, probably not exploring on the freeway. That's not the really safest thing to do, but they're allowed to explore and try things out. That's why kids, by the way, put snails in their mouth <laughs> because they're going, hey, what does this do? What does this taste like? It's awesome. Now, I, I don't know if that's safe or not, but that's what kids do. Um, kind of that three to five-year-old stage, that's where kids start to learn that they can have their own feelings, that they can start to trust themselves. This is an incredibly formative stage right here because parents are supposed to validate and accept their, the feelings of the child. Um, a a five-year-old can come up to you and say, Mom, I'm hungry. And if the mom goes, no, you're not, you're not hungry. You just ate dinner three hours ago. You're not hungry. The kid goes, I thought I was hungry. His tummy's rumbling. I'm pretty sure. I guess I'm not hungry. So if the parent isn't validating and accepting those feelings, then it starts to cause this confusion and this lack of trust within a person's self. Again, I have several clients right now that literally can't tell you the color of the wall because... I say it's one color, and they are just too afraid or not comfortable enough being able to articulate what their needs are, what, what they believe it is. Moving 5 to 12 real fast here, trying and failing. That's the job of the kids, just trying all sorts of experiences. They want to learn how to ride a bike and you know, skateboard and go scuba diving and everything else like that, and they're not going to do it all well. Um, I have a television with a slice down the screen because I found out razor blades cut glass. I tried and realized that's what happens when you try to cut glass with a razor blade. And so the parent's job, again, um, primarily is to provide acceptance and, okay, stop that, and unconditional love that unconditional piece, because if the kids are failing all the time, but the parents are taking it personally and are going, I can't believe you did that. Really? You failed again? My goodness. Now they're talk, uh, attacking the very character of the child and not their behavior. And so being able to receive that unconditional love and acceptance is essential kind of during this stage. All right, hold on a second. I'm going to just click a button so that will stop that. All right. Finally, 12 to 18, that's where, um, those are the teenage years. Those are the good years. That's where, you know, in fact, I told a person today, I have three teenagers at home. And he kind of just shakes his head and goes, I'm so sorry. I don't know why, because I love having teenagers at home. You can tell jokes that are adult jokes, and they understand them. And you don't have to listen to SpongeBob a lot. And you, you don't have to do stuff that's back, you know, that's just not as fun for me as a parent. Having this here, my kids are figuring out who they are. It's called the two eyes, identity and independence. They do not want to live with me their entire life. And I am totally okay with that. 100%. I don't need them to live with me for me to feel good about myself. 18, grow them up and get them out. That is my job. Okay? So I want them to have this, and I want them to create personal values. I want them to know why they do what they do, and I want them to have their own convictions, their own beliefs. We have had so many conversations with our, with our kids about why they believe what they believe. Dad, why, why is this important? Why shouldn't I believe this? You know what we did? We're just a weird family. I admit that right now. Um, 
for those who were here last series, last summer, you guys know that I'm a big um, Aaron Sorkin fan, West Wing kind of thing. My daughter and I, who's 16, we watched all seven seasons of West Wing. And most people are going, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. But we talked about government and politics and the Democrats and the Republicans and what's the difference and all this stuff. And I wasn't saying you have to be this. And if you don't, if you don't have this, then you're out of the family kind of thing. It is, why do you want to choose some sort of political party? Why do you want to do that? Here's what they stand for. What do you think would be best? And then I get to throw all sorts of weird questions at her. You know, well, what about this? Oh, you're right. Well, I guess that is meaning the other people are right. Yeah, but, you know, look at this way. Oh, shoot, I don't know. So she's wrestling, and that is very, very good. I want to allow her to separate. I want her to become her own person. If I can do that, then I get to, I get to raise a healthy daughter and release her out into the world to make her own set of mistakes and her own um, set of successes. And I will be joyful and, and, and glad that she's able to do those things. Questions about any of this? I know we blasted through most of that last week, so I just want to give anyone a chance about any of that. Oh, you guys are going to be easy tonight. Oh, shoot. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Yes. And how do you do it? <laughs> that, that's a lot of big question, but like, where does it fit in there? How are the my? No. Um, <laughs> I've been trying. <laughs> it's a little bit of a trick question, okay? Um, there are two types of parents, and again, I'm just going to keep moving this so it doesn't turn off on us. Um, there are two types of parents who have different kinds of values. There are the one type of parent who wants their children to become obedient so that they, so that life is easier on the parent. And so it's more about, I need to break the will of the child and have them conform to what I want to be. And so when you want obedience in that way... Um, That's actually easier to get. Does that sound weird? But that's actually easier to create within a family because you don't give a child any choices. You have nothing but pure um, consequences or punishment um, and, and con well, okay, help me out here. Reward and consequences, cause and effect. Okay, so um, don't eat the snail. Okay, and so you get, you know, paddled or whatever it is because you, 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 you tasted the snail. Child learns really quick. Don't do anything that might exert my own, my own feelings or thoughts or any of that. They learn my number one job is to conform and not rock the boat. Okay, so that, that's one type of parent. I'm assuming that's not going to be you. Excellent, okay. Through here... You get to start, and, and again, it doesn't start at zero, and it doesn't actually start at two. It, it's all, it can start very, very early. Um, but one thing we're going to be talking about, and I don't, yeah, I'll go ahead and do it now. There's this new concept, not a new concept, but there is this kind of um, different stage here. If you can still get out of the way so you guys can see some of that. There's a really, really smart guy called Piaget, and he kind of came up with some ways that, 
um, kids learn. So kind of anything from between 0 to 11 is something called the concrete operational stage. That is where things, things that happen in your world happen because of the physicality of it. And then after 11 through 13, you enter into what's called the formal operational stage. Now, here's what I mean by that. Um, I used to work on a challenge course, and there was this large log that people would stand on and have to kind of get past each other without stepping off the log. It was called the lineup log. And when we ran sixth graders through there, so sixth graders are right around that 11, 12-year-old mark, sometimes you know, as young as 10, um, and they slip off the log, we ask them, why did you fall off the log? And one of the standard answers is, my tennis shoes are wet, or I lost my balance, or the log is too skinny. Their thought process is all about the physicality of it. You ask that same question to 14-year-olds who are learning how to work together, and they say, you ask them, why did you fall off the log? Now they're able to look at themselves and their motivations outside of themselves. Like there's a camera looking in on why they did what they did. And when they do that, they say, because I didn't ask for help. That's a relational kind of answer rather than a concrete, physical kind of answer. And what happens all the time, and I wish this one concept could be taught to, to every parent out there. You take kids in this concrete stage at about, let's say, five or six, and they push their brother down or whatever it is, and you come barreling into there. Okay, I keep talking about you. I'll talk about me. I go barreling into there because I've done this. Why did you do that? Why in the world did you push your brother down? And the answer is because he was in my way, which is absolutely true and for a six-year-old probably makes pretty good sense because he's in a concrete operational stage. Brother is physical object in my way. Must move brother. Easiest, most efficient way to do that is to push him and I keep going, okay? But we're adults asking the question and we are assuming he's coming from a formal operational stage it's about relationships and compassion and kindness and all these other things. And you want him to be able to evaluate his motives and all this stuff. And so when he gives you, because he was in my way, that's not good enough. My goodness, don't you understand that, that this is hurting people's feelings and all that? And you try to explain it to him. And he's looking at you like, huh? What? Brother's in the way. I'm going to push him out of the way the next time because he's going to be in my way again. As parents, for the obedience stuff, when we can understand some of these concepts here, it affects the way that we, that we parent and create obedience. So, I believe that it's not good for brothers to push other brothers out of the way because that, you know, it can be hurtful and it's not considerate. But we have to talk in their language, in their, in what they can understand so that it makes more sense. So, instead of pushing your brother out of the way, um, in our family we simply ask, will you please move first? And then if he won't move, then you can step out of the way and go around him. Now, that takes prep. You're laughing because you're going, yeah, right. Huh? See? No, I was thinking that if he doesn't respond, then you punch him in the head. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, you've been to my house. Um, and it takes repetition and practice and all those things. Uh, obedience. Gosh, this is a great segue. Um, 
the more experiences you can give a child, and you do that in a safe, loving, accepting context, the better that they learn because it's not tainted with the shame or fear or guilt. So it's like, man, I totally get why you pushed your brother out of the way. That was actually pretty smart. Unfortunately, that kind of hurt your brother. And so I, I get why you did that, but we're going we're gonna to have to try a di little different way. And so you don't punish him. You reward his thinking. Now what does he walk away with? Say again? I can make choice. Yes. And what does he learn about himself? Okay. Yes. And a child who's in that posture is more than happy to try on all sorts of other options. Oh, man, okay. I can totally do this. I can, you know, this other option, this other, other choice. Wouldn't that be a great way to parent? That costs us a lot as parents. I... I'll just tell you that right now because when I come home after 12 hours of work and, you know, a flat tire on the way home and all this stuff, the last thing I'm thinking about is, oh, I need to foster the mental health of my child, okay? It just doesn't quite work out the way that I want it to. But in a perfect world, it would be. That's what we would get to do. We could talk all night long about concrete and formal operational. There's just some really, really cool stuff about some of that. Um, but we're not going to. <laughs> Self-aware, 0%, and again, it's kind of a upward curve here, and then the percentage goes up kind of in the formal operational. Now, here's a little tricky spot. I know adults who emotionally stopped growing right about here, boink, okay? And they actually can't process things formal operationally. They just kind of still things concretely. Some of you are nodding your head who work in some of these industries, right? And it becomes frustrating because we expect them as adults to be able to think formal operationally, and they just don't. And so we can probably, someone should remind me to talk about this when we talk about the day for hurting people, because a lot of hurting people make choices out of, you know, right here, and even though they're adults, because they got kind of stuck in that age growing up. And we can talk about that more, but we're not going to. Great question. You just burned up 10 minutes of my time. Appreciate it. How about we do this real fast? This is always... Um, let's do this one. This is a good one. Hopefully it's loud enough. Talk just before college. Good timing. This is a classic movie called Life with Father. William Powell. Good, good stuff. You should watch it as a family.
Lieutenant, we men have to run this world, and it's not an easy job. It takes work, and it takes thinking. A man has to reason things out. Now you take a woman. A woman thinks, no, I'm all right there. A woman doesn't think at all. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> that would be for the um, last stage on the bow tie um, principle over here, 12 to 18 year old. If you need to have the talk with your with your kids, you know, <laughs> you can model that. I guess I don't know. All right, let's see here. So back to the bow tie effect. Any other questions about this, or else we're going to jump off it. We're going to keep moving on. All right. Why do some people get stuck in the old stage or whatever? Yeah. <sighs> that is a very... Why do sometimes people get stuck in the five to six-year-olds or some stage back here? How can people kind of stop growing emotionally? You want to you try a, a quick answer, Jimmy? Sure. All right. Give it your sometimes best shot. Sometimes we get involved doing things emotionally we stopped growing up. I started using drugs at a very early age and I did not grow up. I'm still sometimes emotionally 16 to 18 years old, especially when it comes to things like relationships and stuff. I act out. So I'm getting a lot better though. I'm probably about 20 now. <laughs> For 
me, it was drugs. I stopped growing well, up. I stopped. Yeah, um, we go into survival mode. If we find something that works, we stick with it, especially if we need to do that to survive in our homes. Okay? So um, that's the very, very quick answer. There's a much longer answer to that. Um, sometimes you can actually stop growing physically as well. Um, if you want me to taint a well-beloved um, story that many of you probably know, who wrote uh, Peter Pan? Barry. Barry was, um, had a brother who was a few years older than him who was killed when the older brother was about 10. Mother, this is around the turn of the century, mother went into kind of one of these Victorian swoons basically for the rest of her life. She went to bed and never woke up. Barry would come in carrying, you know, bringing a tray to take care of mother and mother would, you know, is that you, my long lost son? Are you here? I would much rather have you gone than, you know, dear Johnny, who was, who was gone. And so this is what he grew up in, in very formative years right here. He actually stopped growing physically. He never actually hit puberty. He really? never was able to consummate his marriage. Um, and he wrote stories about little boys who never grow up. What was he As well as lots of other... Um, very disturbing images in some of his um, poetic work and things like that. We work out our story in any way that we can. Isn't that just fascinating? Um, How can you be emotionally set not to go through puberty? Puberty is a chemical process. Your body goes into survival mode. Our emotions, our emotions are unbelievably powerful. When we, when we become traumatized, our bodies actually stop growing and, and, and producing. So if we are in a constant state of trauma, we have a hard time physically developing. Yes. Like yes or no. Okay. Do you have a quick book off the top of your head for concrete versus formal thinking? <sighs> what would I choose for that one? <laughs> you can tell me. Um, YouTube. <laughs> Look up Piaget. P-I-A-J-E-T. Um, things... Uh, Great experiments. I have lots of experiments that people have run um, later on. Uh, things around conservation. Um, really good thought process. Um, videos explain it better than reading. There's lots of other good books on Piaget. I just can't pull no, one up right now. Okay. This whole mess right here was the answer the very first of three reasons why, why family relationships tend not to work real well. This is the answer to the first one. So we got to cook through the second ones here as fast as possible. Um, blank, thank you. The second one, why do parent-child relationships tend to have such a hard time? And that is because we tend to relate to our parents as children when we are adults. I grow up, uh, and I'm supposed to have the two eyes here. What are the two eyes? And identity. Okay, supposed to know who I am, and I'm supposed to be able to function on my own. That's an adult kind of mentality. But when we get back into family, as an adult now, when we relate back to our family, we relate back to them as children. Here's how children have to relate. Children are inherently powerless. If their world isn't working out for them, they can't just get up and leave typically. They can't put a roof over their head. They can't put food on the table. They can't get a job. They are masters 
masters at learning how to adapt, how to tolerate, how to survive in any way possible, because they just can't get out of it. I feel bad for my kids that whenever we have to, you know, just run errands and we're buying stuff like toothpaste and all the things that are really unfun for kids, but we're out for three hours, they're stuck like Chuck. They just can't get out of it. They just got to keep being drug along. And if it wasn't for the invention of the iPhone, which can distract them now, they'd go crazy, okay? Kids become remarkably good at adapting and surviving. But here's the good news. When you grow up, when you become an adult, you are supposed to have power over your own life. You are allowed to have power over your own life. If you don't like something, you don't actually have to tolerate it. Now, changing it might be very difficult, and you might take some time and effort to make that happen, but I guarantee you, if you don't like your job, you don't have to, you don't have to tolerate it. You could quit. It is within your power, right? If you don't like the car you drive, you can just leave it on the side of the road and walk away from it, and you don't have to tolerate it anymore. Now, again, you figure out how to buy another car, but you don't have to get stuck with it. And so many people, so many people, when they start to go back and relate to their parents, they forget that they actually, it's appropriate. It is 100% appropriate for you to have your own power and not give that power back to your parents. That might be new information for a lot of people. A lot of people go, well, they're my parents. I'm supposed to do what they tell me, aren't I? Even though I'm 42? No. Now, honor them, listen to them, consider them, but you don't always have to necessarily agree with them. You don't have to do what they tell you. Is that okay for me to say? Okay. That might be brand new information for many of you. And if it is, I hope that it is freeing information. It is appropriate for adults to have power and to determine what they want and don't want in their lives. Okay? Yes. Chris. Mm -hmm. but at the same time honoring them. So what do you mean by that? Um, back to some of the 10 rules of relationship here. Um, it's appropriate. I can't remember what. I guess I should remember what the numbers are. Um, <laughs> state your thoughts and feelings kindly and directly. That would be honoring. You can do that respectfully. You don't have to get in his face. You don't have to demand anything. Um, but you can say, thank you very much for your input. I'm going to actually choose to do something else instead. He chooses his own response. That's number one. You can't control anyone else's response. Um, but you can determine how you interact with them. And every person, parents especially, deserve respect, kindness, honor, um, all of those things. But that doesn't always mean you have to agree with them or obey them. So you would say then that you know, I'm dealing with someone who's quite out there. Right. And You cannot control their response. You can only control yours. Yep. Yep. Back to the can you make me sit or stand up out of that stool again? Can you make me stand up? You can't, short of touching me, okay, you can't force me out of that stool. 
By the way, I thought of a great response. Who was it? It was your friend, Holden Dash, and who else helped me out over here? Well, someone else. And you guys are going to pull this chair out from underneath me to make me stand up, right? I thought about it on the way home. I wish I would have let you do, done that because I would have just sat on the floor. You still can't make me stand up. <laughs> a little too late. I'll, you know, use that next time. So if you see that coming, you know where it's going. Questions about that. Questions about the ability to relate to your parents adult to adult instead of child to adult. Does that make sense? Any questions or clarification? Yeah, it does actually become reversed in most cases. And I would argue that's kind of how it's supposed to go not, at times. Uh, isn't that kind of negative? <laughs> I mean. um, negative? I would, might use the word difficult. I'm not sure I'd use the word negative. Well, I, I was choosing not to use the word I would use it to suck. That's <laughs> it could suck. <laughs> But I would make an argument that that is another way to honor your family because it is appropriate to relate to people self-sacrificingly. Sacrificially is a better, probably better word to use. Um, when we choose to enter into that place, though, we have very different feelings and a very different response to that. But we are called to do that. And I wish that we could do it better. I wish we could just do it better. I want to give you an example again real quick here. Come on. I guess i got to stand right in front of the light to make it go on. There you go. What does it look like to find your voice? This is what it looks like. This is a movie from a movie called Antoine Fisher. Let's see if it'll play. Playing, but I'm not seeing it. Hold on. Come back. Let's see if it'll show. If it doesn't show, then we have to just move on without it. Every once in a while, there's a couple movies that just won't transfer over. Oh, too bad. All right, it's not going to go. We're not going to waste time. Was it starting? All right, one more chance here. This is the last chance it has. Everything? Yep. Think about it. Thank you. And thank you for playing. Okay, back to this other stuff. <laughs> And we'll, leave, us, we'll leave it on there for now. Um, let's see real fast. Third thing, family-wise. Um, another reason that we end up having difficulty relating to our families is the um, roles and rules that we have adapted and adopted into our lives. Um, let me... Oh, I don't have it ready to go here. Let's put it into... This one here. And can anyone read that? 
I think that's what it says. There we go. And I'll make it a little bit bigger so we can see it. These are um, very common um, roles and behaviors people uh, adapt to survive in their families, especially if you are in a family that has any sort of abusive or addictive um, dimensions going on. Um, Oh, it's not full screen anymore. That's okay. I'll fix it later. So common family rules in addictive and codependent families. You don't have to copy all these down um, because it is available for you um, on the website again, paulelmore.com slash refuge, okay? R-E-F-U-G-E, refuge. If you get to there, this is a PDF link you can just download and you can take a look at that. I'm in your way. I'm sorry. I'll get out of your way here. Real fast, I'm going to blast through this and I want you to see which one I actually debated um, if we should stand up and split the room into these different categories, but then I figured that might just be weird. So, but the addict. The addict typically has the entire family life revolve around kind of their um, addiction um, or alcoholism they use here. Each codependent role has been taken on in order to make sense of and handle the dysfunction in the everyday life of the family. That's why you adopt these, these roles is because you just, again, have to somehow figure out how to survive. So, usually the firstborn becomes the hero. I'm going to click some buttons real quick here. I just heard someone say, that's me. Did I hear that? <laughs> Hold on a second. Let me get to... Go on this. Then you're all of these, and you're really bummed. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, Oftentimes, the hero is the oldest child that devotes his time and attention to making the family look normal and without any problems. He's kind of the gatekeeper. Um, I use he because I'm the, only ch the oldest child in my family. By overachieving and being successful in school or work, social activities, the hero can feel, feels he can mask or make up for the dysfunctional home life, um, kind of fix things. Everyone sees the hero as kind, helpful, and positive, but inside, the hero often feels isolated um, and, and unable to express true feelings. They may have difficulty with intimate relationships later in life and may suffer from illness related to stress, and they often become workaholics as adults. I am, if you just want to have a poster child for that right there, right here, okay? That would just be me. The scapegoat is oftentimes the second born, and they um, always seem defiant, hostile, and angry, perpetually in trouble at school, work, or in social situations. Um, their general negative behavior turns the focus away from the addict or the family. So it's a deflection kind of mentality. They may also be reacting to the attention that the hero child receives. Isn't that odd? So one child is trying to make the family good, and the other child is reacting to their reaction to the addict. And so it just becomes this nasty chain reaction kind of thing. They turn high-risk behaviors as a way to express their inner feelings of emptiness. The scapegoat may experiment with drugs or alcohol, and they may become sexually active at an early age or get into frequent fights. They can be very clever and leaders in their own peer groups, but oftentimes the groups they choose to hang out with are um, gangs or other groups that do not represent healthy relationships. The mascot. Um, sometimes the youngest child in the family, they are court jester trying to get everyone to laugh. They do this unconsciously to improve the atmosphere in the dysfunctional household as well as turn focus away from the addict or alcoholic. Um, let's come over here, let's turn that, let's do this, and go to about there. They, the rest of the family may actually try to protect their class clown from the severity of the um, addiction and whether other problems exist in the family. Problems with this 
is that the mascot may run away from problems even as an adult or continue to use humor to focus away from problems. If you want to look at probably a disproportionate amount of mascots, look at Hollywood. Um, the mascot is often busy, 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 which is ironic because many of these dysfunctional survival tools become unbelievably lucrative. You can make a pretty good living doing it. Firstborns, workaholics, 80 hours a week, Wall Street, they drive nice cars and have really pretty boats. They also got three or four marriages and no relationship with their children because they tend to pass on the cancer. Okay? Again, really funny people here. Um, Owen, Owen Wilson, um, is, that, is that the right name? Funny, funny guy. Attempted suicide about a year ago. Has everything, has tons of money, but this is his world. Busy, 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 they become anxious or depressed when things aren't in constant motion. These are the people who can't often sit and rest. Um, they are, this hyperactivity makes it hard for them to concentrate very long on any one particular thing, and this makes school or work difficult. Some mascots turn to drugs or alcohol to help them slow down or handle their anxiety. And again, you just have one more addict that perpetuates and passes on the cancer. The lost child, this family member basically disappears. They become loners or are very shy. They feel like strangers or outsiders, not only in social situations, but also within their own families. They feel ignored and that they don't matter. Their way of handling the addictive behavior in the family is to draw away from interaction with family members. The lost child often has a rich inner life. A lot of artists, a lot of creative people here. This is them. Um, where am I? Um, but because they don't interact, they never have a chance to develop important social and communication skills. Emily Dickinson. The lost child avoids trouble even if they truly need something. Sometimes they develop physical problems like asthma or obesity in order to gain attention, and they never actually realize they're doing this. Um, as adults, they may never marry or may have difficulty having an intimate relationship. Finally, we got the caretaker. Um, Another descriptive word for this type of codependent family role is enabler. They take care, or the caretaker feels like they have to keep the family going. Over and over, they take on the addict's problems and responsibilities. The fact that they have to do this may make the caretaker angry or frustrated, but they never quite see that by choosing not to help, that they actually could help the addict. Finally, the caretaker and the martyr is the martyr of the family and often supports not only the addictive behavior of the addict or alcoholic, but also the codependent roles that everyone else is playing. These are the people who get mad at you when you don't accept their help. And they help more than they can actually follow through on, make lots of promises, and can't actually deliver. And so they become martyrs. They become very self-critical. Again, this is available if you want to download this. The reason I probably am not going to break you guys into groups is because I'm not so sure that the lost child would um, go anywhere. <laughs> they would blend in. It's like, we have no lost children. No, they're just good at hiding. Okay, so we're not going to make you guys do that. But if you can find which one might typically be you, um, this might help you understand why you do what you do in relationship to your family. Because again, when you miss number two, and you go back into those childhood relationships instead of an adult relationship, you can be 50 years old and instantly fall right back into this when you interact with your family again. They get deeply, deeply inbred and just hardwired. Now, 
they don't have to always be permanent. You can actually change and become aware of it, but you have to know kind of what's going on first. Question in the back. Um, so if someone like myself, I feel like I'm every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah, you're really screwed up. Yeah. Some here, some there, a few, some of these. Yeah. Um, if you want, if you want a fun experiment, take your three best friends, run this by them, and then ask them which one do you think I am, because they're the way you relate to them. You'll gravitate typically towards one. You might, you're, everyone's a mishmash of, of many of these, but we tend to gravitate towards one, you know, at least a little bit. So if you can't make the objective call, then um, have people that you trust say, yeah, I think you're probably closer to this. Now, if you've got three friends give you three answers, <laughs> then I don't know what to do. <laughs> <sighs> Question over here somewhere? Uh, I was just along the same lines. Of, uh, I in my family that uh, out of us four kids that we probably mix and match there you know some of us are two of them some of us are one yep really good smart people again kids are really adaptable you might be able to pull on different roles depending upon the situation so if dad gets angry, you instantly go towards um, the class, the, the clown one, whichever one that was called, the mascot. Because you know if I get him laughing, he's not going to punch anybody. But then if he is um, something else, you might become the caretaker. And if he's really angry, then you learn how to disappear really good and become the lost child. So again, you might become really good at adapting multiples of those. There was another one over here. Yeah. Is there a good website that yeah, that's a great question. Like that. Isn't that fun? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I totally ripped this off right here from these people. Okay, so again, that's on the PDF. Just link on that. Um, I've actually built a codependency quiz, um, but it's not these roles, so that wouldn't give you more specifics. It's a really good idea. Okay. Now I know what my project is for the fall. Um, if you find it, come back and let us know. Sure. Okay, that would be that would be excellent. Okay, I'd appreciate that. Over here. I'm just uh, maybe you'll get into this, but I'm not trying to be, I guess, crass. But what does it matter? What do you do with this information? What how, you know? If you're one of these, you know, like I'm yep. many uh, little pieces of all of these. Yeah. What do I do with this information? I mean, I guess I don't. Let's take the lost child, the kid who learns how to shut up, be quiet, become invisible, and that serves him well growing up. Um, he's now sitting in my office as an adult with his wife of six years, and she's going, he just won't talk. I just can't get him engaged. And he goes, yep. <laughs> Why won't you engage? Don't know. The things that keep us safe early on in life often become very disruptive when we're not in that environment anymore. And so if you can understand what you've had to do in this early environment, you are no longer held hostage to it. You get to choose. 
Like I, I use the metaphor a lot about I'm just a glorified Home Depot worker in my office. I give people different tools because a lot of time all they have is a rusty screwdriver in their toolbox. Now you can cut a two by four with a rusty screwdriver, but it's gonna take you an awful long time and it's not gonna be a real clean joint. So I'm gonna teach you about this new thing called a power saw. And here's how to use it and you plug it in and you push the button and here's how you don't cut off your thumb. And I want you to learn how to use that because a good carpenter only needs a half a dozen really good tools and they can make beautiful things. So I want you to have more tools than just these. Does that make sense? A couple more questions. Yes. An insight that I have in response to that is like, um, I grew up pre-identified uh, with that lost child. And, yeah. Um, and uh, so it really wasn't consciously put, put out by the parents to play those roles, nope. yet it was so clear that that is the only choice she had. Yep. And so I almost live things out as an adult just to be loyal, thinking it's that honor or whatever crap. Yep. And I realized it was just their own unconscious riffraff about how they, how we're all to deal with their the addiction in the home or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, whatever lostness was there. That's why I was a lost child. Yeah. 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 Someone over here again. Yes. So is, are these all sort of sibling, you know, the, 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 the children's issue, you know, symptoms? Not always. Um, uh, spouses learn how to adopt some of these as well, but typically um, these are going to be multiple family members, you know, including the kids. But, but, but not necessarily the parents. Um, oftentimes kids are, are these things because the parent is the first one. There's an, there's an, ad, it's an addictive parent somewhere in there, or two addictive parents. Or some other kind of parent. Or, um, yeah. How about like a troublemaker parent? Um, <laughs> like a, a parent that stirs things up. We're going to use, we're gonna use the word emotionally um, unhealthy. Okay? Yep. So what you're talking about, again, I love people who provide really good segues. Parents with family history of trauma. Here's some of the stuff that they do. Let's just pick a couple. Um, um, having trouble. Woo, where are we? Let's scroll up here. Whoa, that's big. Have trouble establishing healthy boundaries with their children. Um, and position themselves either too close or too far. Um, Impulsive features that they act out in their parenting. Here we go. Have trouble even relaxing or having fun with their kids. When parents are, are, haven't dealt with their story and they are simply, again, reproducing the cancer, um, kids have to learn how to survive in that. They just don't have any other options. And so if you want, again, this one's actually available on the website as well. So if you want to run through this and see what... Um, if this might be playing into some of your story stuff. Here's what I want to be careful of, and a lot of people get really good at minimizing or justifying. They're saying, because my, my parents have a history of trauma or abuse in their family, they're not responsible for, for what they caused in me. Would you say that is true or false? Why? I want someone else to give the answer so that I'm not in trouble here. Oh, yes. One of the choices is not doing their work, not changing themselves. It's our responsibility to come to you and learn the right way. Yes. 
to show up at Imago Day and sit in a crazy class called Refuge and learn some of this stuff. That is a choice, and that is a gift to give your children. I want you to hear that if any of you are walking in with some of this or some of the other behaviors, the roles you assume, again, you are not stuck. You have power. You have choices. I don't see anyone here that is four years old physically. You have the ability to change. Now, you might need help. And there's not a whole lot of other places in town as good as this to do some of that. Now, that is scary and risky and uncomfortable. But I know that Ben has a, has a very intentional purpose to make this safe so that you can do the uncomfortable work and you don't pass on the cancer. Hold on a second. Yeah, I just wanted to respond to that really quick. Like my dad growing up had epilepsy, so it mm. wasn't an addiction, but the entire family kind of formed around that, that medical issue. Yep. And so we all took on roles yep. so I can be the poster child for the mascot, my brother is the poster child for the hero, yep. and my mom is the poster child for all of them. <laughs> and, sure. uh, and it wasn't really anything, it wasn't like a choice that any of us had, it was like this medical condition that we all had yeah. the person, so to speak, the person to our rights back. Yeah, so. yeah. We use the word addict or um, trauma simply because that is a majority of it, but I know people who have had um, siblings who have had developmental issues, and so that just sucks up more time and energy from the family, and everyone has to learn how to adapt to that. Again, we're remarkably creative in the ways that we survive, but we are not helpless. Um, going back to parents with trauma. Um, yes. I guess, could you arguably say that whole conversation of they did the best they can, and that kind of justifies their behavior. Yeah. But then if they're sitting in trauma, there's they're not aware enough to not do what they're doing. Does that make sense? They're not aware of what they're doing. Like, you have to speak. If you're in trauma, then your brain's not operating the same as if it was not in trauma. Sometimes. 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 I think everyone has a level of awareness to recognize this ain't working in life, okay? Something's not going the way that I want it to go. And so, again, they have the control and the option to say, why ain't it working? I got I to gotta at least figure this out. Short of, short of someone who is, again, let's take an adult who is emotionally, mentally in this stage right here, and they just cannot become self-aware. Developmental issues, there are, there are kind of some medical, biological reasons why that might not happen, okay? But for the most part, everyone else has the power and the ability to take responsibility for themselves, Okay? Oh, what time is it? If I push this button, are you stinking kidding me? <laughs> I am choking. <laughs> um, rules, values. There we go. My daughter, who's not here tonight, she's um, off on a trip right now. 
Um, several years ago, my parents and I were going through just a normal disagreement that happens between parents and adult children. And in the midst of this conversation, my parents are in Southern California, so all this is happening via telephone, and we're having, we're having conflict, okay? Just no other way to put it. I'm fighting with my mom. And as I'm doing that, my daughter's sitting on the bed listening to us, you know, and, and in our home, fighting's pretty normal. So she's sitting there, you know, no big deal. And we hang up with the phone. What was that about? Oh, you know, Grandma and I are just kind of wrestling through some stuff. We're not connecting right now. And she goes, okay, and no, no big deal. Um, the next time I talked on the phone with my mom, I told her, you know, that Michael was just here and kind of privy to our conversation. And my mom gets very, very quiet and ends the conversation very quickly. She gives me a call a couple days later, and she is unbelievably hurt because I would somehow allow my daughter to hear that conversation because now my daughter is going to think terrible things about her grandmother. My mom is operating out of a set of values and beliefs about how relationships should and shouldn't work. And that conversation prompted a significant evaluation of what do I actually value? What is our family about? Um, we have my wife and four kids. What do we want to have our family values be? And we came up with some things that we want to be known for. And we came up with them and became so intent about them that we want the name Elmore, my last name, we want the name Elmore to stand for something different than what it stood for, the values I grew up in. Does that make sense? Sure. We have a friend who um, works at a winery. She's a very, very close friend to us. And... One day, she calls us up and she says, I got a gift for you guys. I can't wait to bring it to you. What is it? I'm not going to show you. I'm not going to tell you. She shows up a couple days later with a garbage bag full of caps and corks and everything else from this winery called Erath. Okay? And it's, I got jars of these all over my house. I got some in my office. And people think I drink a lot, which is, <laughs> yeah. Ironic because I don't drink at all, but um, this is, um, can, you see what, can you see that? It's kind of a big E with a circle around it on the cap here. That's what it looks like. Um, you guys can come look at it if you want. And she was so excited to bring this to us. Now, this would mean absolutely nothing to anyone else, but it means everything to our family because when we were wrestling through this value issue, my wife and I went and got the tattoo with the E on the circle on it because we wanted to make a, a permanent mark that says, this is what we are about. Now, I'm not a tattoo guy. It's the only one I own. Some of you guys who have these sleeves going on, I mean, well done, but this tattoo, this tattoo means something. So my wife has it on her ankle. I have it here, and I have told my kids that if they choose, they don't have to, but if they want to live according to some of these values that the name Elmore stands for, up here again, they get to choose their values, I'll pay for the tattoo if they want. And they're 18. Okay? <laughs> I wanted a permanent mark that says we are unwavering in this. I had a chance to explain to my mom 
Mom, I'm sorry. This is back to the respect thing and the honoring thing. Mom, I didn't mean to cause you distress, and I'm sorry that that was uncomfortable for you. I can understand why that would be when you're operating out of these paradigms over here. I understand that. But our family doesn't operate according to those rules. We just don't anymore. And so Michael's okay with you. She's not upset with you. She doesn't think bad. Because she thinks bad about you, she thinks bad about me. Because, you know, my wife and I fight all the time. She's used to conflict. And my mother had a chance to kind of consider a new perspective, a new paradigm to her world as well. Growth is uncomfortable. I wish it was a little bit easier, but it's not always. It's a little uncomfortable. Whole jar of caps and corks. It's a good conversation piece. Questions at all about any of that? The rules, the roles, anything else like that? Jimmy. The values. Now, do your kids have to accept all those values to get the tattoos? Or can they <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Does, it, does it change generationally? Yes. I guess is what I'm asking. Um, I hope it changes generationally because... My daughter is going to marry a man someday who doesn't come from these values, and they're going to have to figure it out. They're going to have to adapt. And so they're not going to look identical to ours. Okay. They just aren't. Here's a phrase I learned early on. Values cannot be taught. Did you know that? I can't teach values to my children. To values are caught. They are assimilated. If you want an easier way to understand this, um, think about the debate between Ford and Chevy trucks, okay? You got people who are Ford families, and anything short of a Ford is, is not a truck. I mean, you might think it's a truck, but it ain't no truck. And then you got families over here that are Chevys, right? And, you know, if, it's, if it isn't a Chevy, why bother driving it? And so those values of what truck are we loyal to um, get passed on generationally, wouldn't you say? And... If, if you show up at the family reunion driving a Ford truck and you're in a Chevy family, it's almost, you know, risky to show up because you might get your tires shot out or something, okay? Those things get caught. They don't necessarily are taught because in reality, it's a truck, it's a truck. They're both going to haul gravel and they're both going to get you from point A to point B. There isn't a whole lot of true major difference between that, but for families who value that, they, they will defend it to the end, to the end. So, yes? It seems like, um, well, in a Christian standpoint, you have the saying, becoming who God wants you to be or who God intended you to be. I, don't, I see that as really blocked in these, when you're assigned these roles and it's survival mode. Another would be Maslow's hierarchy of uh, needs where it's uh, um, self-actualization. It seems like that can't happen in, when it's all this black or white and you're this. It's like an objectification of a person. Yes. you got to be this. That's how I feel. Yeah. It's risky being one of these parents, allowing your kids to become themselves, because there is no guarantees. There's no guarantees that my daughter's going to make good choices. It will break my heart. I will hurt for her. And I want to do everything I can to protect her. But I also got to give her permission to learn on her own. So it's taking risks that is hard to do. Yeah, That's risks. Okay. Yeah. And it is, I probably shouldn't tell you this, this is harder 
This takes more energy, more work, more thought, more personal discipline, more devotion, more trust, more everything. It's not easy. But it, if you value the relationship rather than the obedience or the, or the conformity, this is the way to go. Something else in the back. So you've made reference a few times um, the last few weeks about the fact that you and your wife fight. Yes. Will you, at, at some point, kind of speak to that and, and sort of talk to us about what that means and what that's like and whether you think it's healthy or whether you, you know, just, because I know that, that there's, there's definitely some really toxic fighting that happens and I sure. also know there's healthy fighting and it'd be interesting to, to learn about those. Um, it's reasonable. <laughs> not going not gonna to do it, but it's reasonable. <laughs> That's really personal, okay? This is all theory, and I can talk about all these other stories, but <laughs> no, I know. Um, that actually is in, um, I can't remember, is it Failure 101 or Shame? That we talked about the week about conflict. I think it's Failure 101. Yeah, so in actuality, um, I don't actually have that available on my website right now. I should probably put that up there, huh? Would you guys be interested in having those again? Yeah, yeah, Teasing you about fighting. That's instance. I didn't expect to hear that tonight. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I there's so much good stuff that I want you to walk away with. There's so many things that I think are. Um, transformative that I get a little greedy in trying to convey too much. So I apologize for not getting to the topic we were supposed to tonight, which is relationship with yourself. Um, I'm going to give you a teaser, and then we're going to do the whole week next week. And now we won't have to do any catch-up, and I'll just figure out which week we're going to drop. Or oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. How do you have a good relationship with yourself? Okay, let's move off of the parental piece. Let's move off of the child piece. And now let's say you're the only person in the room. How do you have a healthy, appropriate relationship with yourself? What are some of the hindrances that you can think of to having a good, healthy relationship with yourself? Conflict. Trauma. Trauma. Okay, that's, yep, that's true. What else? Yes, yeah, so my, my, my behavior is actually who I am. That's a big one. Yep, are you actually aware of what's going on? Chris? Thinking the, only, thinking the coping mechanisms that you have are all that you have, and there's no other way of dealing yep. with situations. Very limited scope, yeah. What else gets in the way? Addictions. Addictions, absolutely. Um, scripts that we've listened to from people our whole lives. Scripts. Yeah. I should talk about the two radios, shouldn't I? <laughs> what is he talking about? He keeps throwing all these weird words out. Um, we're going to stick on the script piece here, okay? 
I want you to imagine there's a radio over here, and it's playing a radio station that you just don't like. You know, it's some sort of, you know, genre of music you don't like, but it's turned up pretty loud, and so this is pretty much all you can hear. And so you just learn how to tolerate it, adapt to it, and you think, this is the only things that I'm going to ever hear coming in. And then you start working on yourself, and you do your stuff, and you, you, you try to figure out, become self-aware, and try to um, understand why you do, what roles you've adopted, and all this stuff. And so let's say there's a second radio over here. And so this new radio station, it actually has music that you like. It has music that you choose to listen to, and it starts to turn on just a little bit so you can hear just this very quietly, and then this stuff's still blasting over here. But as you start to do your work, as you start to understand yourself, this volume gets turned up more and more and more, and this volume gets turned down more and more and more, until eventually you are hearing the new music, the music that you like. And this is what you hear a lot of the time. Now, this radio, I can't defend this theologically or therapeutically, but it's my personal experience that this radio over here, this script, these music, this music that you hear, I'm not sure you can ever get it to fully turn off and stay off permanently. I think it gets turned down to where you don't hear it often, and you live according to the new scripts, the new things that you believe about yourself. But on bad days, when you're just tired and emotionally spent, the new stuff gets turned down, and the old stuff gets turned up again every once in a while. But again, if you're mature and you're growing and learning about yourself, you can correct that again really quick. I've been working on my stuff for a while, and there's still days where I just feel like I am an inconvenience. That is that old script that just starts playing off again. That, that volume gets turned up again, and the new stuff gets turned down. And then I sit with people who love me unconditionally and accept me and like me, even though I am an inconvenience, because I am. And it's like, oh yeah, that's what I remember. And so the new radio gets turned back up and the old stuff gets turned back down. And I get to live the rest of my days playing this balancing game. And as I get better and better, you know, I spend months with just listening to the good music until, you know, life happens and then this gets turned up again. So the idea of learning new scripts, these new things that play over and over in your head, um, can become very freeing, and you can enjoy not having to hear some of those scripts. What would be some of the scripts that this old radio plays? You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Needs don't matter. Needs don't matter. You'll never change. You'll never change. Nobody loves me. Yeah, nobody loves me. Your ideas are stupid, and you're stupid. Yeah. It's all your fault. Your ideas are stupid and you are stupid. You're not going to make it. I'm not to blame for your problems. Yeah. I'm not to blame for your problems. We're just talking about everyone else who's not in the room right now, by the way, okay? You guys probably don't have any of these, so let's talk about everyone else who's not in the room. What else do you think they might? There's a, only about 10,000 of them. Yeah. Why even try? Why bother? Why even try? You ain't going to make it anyway. <laughs> yep. You're not good enough. Yep, there it is again. Heard that one a lot. You blew it. Yeah. You're stupid. Why me? You're just like your brother. You're just, ooh, like your brother. 
You need to have those earphones that they had in the first video. You're just like your brother. These things can become debilitating, crippling, can't they? For men, typically, the message of you're not good enough, why try, why bother, all that stuff, kind of that, that um, performance-based stuff, that tends to be, again, stereotypically broad scope, um, you're not good enough. For women, what do you think it is? What do you think the, I, I, I've heard this from so many females. Um, close. Nope, that's not what I've heard. Not being listened to. Nope. <laughs> All the guys are answering. Isn't that odd? <laughs> we should have a relationship, you know, about you know how to understand uh, each other. That would probably be helpful. Um, next summer. I saw. Did I, any women want to try? You're not valuable, okay. You're not worthy. Afraid to be alone. These are all really good, but this isn't the one I'm thinking of. This kind of backfired on me. I hear this from more women than I, it, it surprises me every time I hear it. You're stupid. Yes, you did. Just didn't say it again. <laughs> For some reason, that phrase right there, you're stupid. That, that just sticks to women for whatever reason, and it's painful. Okay? Now, again, not just women. Men can hold that, too. You can hold both of them, but it just seems to have this kind of disproportionate amount, at least in my experience. My hope would be that you don't have to listen to that radio much anymore, and I'd like you to learn how to have a relationship with yourself that is appropriate and healthy and good. A lot of people actually deny themselves the freedom or the ability to have a healthy relationship with themselves because they believe that they are selfish. I shouldn't like myself. That's being selfish. That's being self-centered. And so I should think about myself. And so they kind of just have this constant level of disdain for themselves. And that is unbelievably heavy and difficult to move away from. And I want you to learn, well, I'll give you the premise and I'll re-emphasize it next week, okay? Here's the premise that I want you to walk away with. You are made by a very good creator. Number one, you are made by a very good creator. Number two, everything he makes is good and has value. Number three, all I want you to do is see yourself the way that your creator sees you. That's all I want you to do. You do those three things. You have a healthy, appropriate, humble perspective of yourself. And we'll talk more about how that happens, why these messages end up being so prominent, um, what to do with it, how to change that. You got to be interested in learning how to change, turn on the other radio. Would that be helpful? I hear some yeses, please. Okay. Because you change this. You change this and everything changes. Imagine how you relate to people differently when you actually like yourself. Man, it's good stuff. So, huh, I totally failed at actually getting both done tonight. I apologize, but we're going to just do it right next week and devote the whole week to it. All right? Oh, thank you. 
It's working. This is why I love you guys. This is why, because I can come up here <laughs> and still be accepted even though I totally missed the target. How about I pray for us and I'll let you guys have your evening. Huh. Father, I ache, I ache for every person in this room to see themselves the way that you see them. I pray for the freedom that that can bring, for the acceptance, for the peace that that can provide people who are in desperate need of it. May you be known to each person this week in the most unique, creative, unexpected ways and in the most unexpected times. Sneak up on us and remind us how much you love us. Thank you for being a good God. And thank you for the chance to serve you in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So say we all. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.